So a little over a week ago on, on New Year's Eve, uh, we were getting ready to go to a, um, a friend's New Year's Eve party, and Alina and my wife Alina and our son, oldest son Dominic were, were driving around. I think they were going some last-minute shopping um, to get that done, and they stopped a few, like about a mile from here. They were at the intersection where Brody hits William Cannon, right by here. And um, I believe, this is how I understand it, um, is that Dom- Dominic got in a conversation with a man on the middle of the street asking for money. And uh, it's a pretty, pretty healthy conversation. And then, you know, and then the light turned and they had to go. And so then they um, went and got, um, I think, a burger and a drink and came back and parked around and had to go. Brody's pretty busy. And so ran across, went back and gave, him, gave this man the meal. It was like, what's your name? was the first thing that Dominic asks most people. Um, and he said, Lewis. It's like, hi, Lewis. Uh, and just kept on talking, and eventually Dominic invited him over for dinner. <laughs> and asked, like, well, what do you, what do you like to eat? And it's like meatloaf and, and uh, broccoli and, and cheese. Like, I like broccoli and cheese, too. Uh, mashed potatoes. And so I get a call from, on my phone. I'm at home. I'm getting some other stuff ready. And um, it says, it's like, oh, hi, honey. It's like, hi, Dad. It's Dominic. It's just Dominic. He's the only one talking. Dad, um, we met this awesome guy, and he likes meatloaf, and I wanted to join our family. And, um, okay, <laughs> um, and, and eventually we kind of get to just inviting him to dinner, and to, to pick him up the next day that we have were plans that night, and so we weren't, I weren't going to be able to do it, and then, uh, we're going to go. He's, they ask him, it's like, are you going to be here tomorrow? At this time, he's like, yes, I'll be here. And so um, we go. We go to New Year's Eve. We have a nice New Year's Eve where we're all in bed by like nine. It's fantastic. <laughs> and then um, the next day, getting ready, I have been you know, soaked black-eyed peas, got some other stuff ready. And they go, we got the house ready. We got the china out. We got the silver out. Um, made a meatloaf which has been a long time since we made a meatloaf. For those of you who don't know, I've been a vegetarian since I was 14. Not a lot of meatloafs in our house. Um, get that ready. And, and, and Dominic is so excited. The whole day he is so excited. And he wants to get, and he, he is, he's all the way in. And he's like, I cannot call him uncle. Um, can we get the room ready? We have an extra bed. Can we give it to him? <laughs> Tonight, and I'm like, well, you know, he may not want to stay with us. We just can't assume. Let's like, you know, we'll do what we said we're gonna do. We can, we can do this. And, and we go, and they go, and eventually they find Lewis. And the days, the day is different. That he is exhausted. It seems like he didn't get any sleep the night before. And he falls asleep a few times on the way home. He falls asleep in the bathroom. He falls asleep at dinner. But this does not. Dominic is just. This is the most important thing in the world that we have someone new in our life. And Effie is just like our, our four-year-old is just doing everything his brother's doing. It's like, hi, well, just like just right behind him, all involved. There is no hesitation. They're trying to help. They open the door for Lewis. They don't, and eventually, at the end, um, and Lewis is so tired. We pack up his food. Couldn't eat. Couldn't end up eating with us. Um, and find a place to go, and we go. And uh, but on the way out, Dominic like. He says, like, oh, he had the song. He had the song. That's the one thing I wanted to share. Um, what part do you... Um, a little bit of time. A little, a little bit of time. So, so Dominic was trying to talk to Lewis, and um, Lewis fell asleep in the middle of the conversation. And Dominic uh, wasn't 
insulted. He just started singing a song. It's like, oh, Lewis must be a little bit tired, a little bit tired, a little bit tired. And then when Lewis wakes up, he, um, he loves the song and then is singing the song the rest of the night. So all of this joy. So on the way, so on the way out, um, Lewis is so grateful and so thankful. Um, and Dominic asks him, will you be a part of my family? And he says, yes, I would love to be. Can, and then I'm like, can you be my Uncle Lewis? <laughs> and then he says, yes, I would love to be your Uncle Lewis. My, my brothers and sisters, we're continuing our series in, in the new year, New Year's New Homes. I'm looking at the, the text from the um, season of Epiphany that we are in, as well as the reality of homelessness and God's call to all of us of how to minister and, and, and care for our brothers and sisters experiencing homelessness. Last week, there's a lot of graphs, if you missed it. We had a lot of data. It's pretty data heavy. Um, because one of the realities is we need to know what our context is if we're going to be able to be a part of it. The realities of homelessness in the Austin area. That a year ago, at the, the point in time count where the kind of guides all the city services, um, there are about two, over 2,000 people who were um, on home, def, follow, fall under the HUD definition of homeless, and a thousand of them living on the street. 85% of those were single-person households. Um, 45% were aged 45 to 64. 45% were aged 25 to 44. 4% were 18 to 25. And then 3% were above 65, um, which again, saying like the best anti-homelessness program in the country is Social Security and Medicare. Um, and it, it worked. The data shows that that, that accomplishes a lot. Um, there is 8% of the population in Travis County is African-American. 33% are of the homeless population is African-American. Um, but as well, like the causes of homelessness are never unitary. There's never like one thing that happens that gets someone. It's always these coordinated um, issues and, and syndromes and, and contexts that lead to this. And thus, it's not, it's not something that you can just get one fix and then everything's done. It's a complicated thing. And, you know, usually when you, when you throw a lot of, of graphs and data and complications, they don't, like, walk away that someday, oh, I'm, I just feel great with data. Um, <laughs> it's more like, oh, my gosh, this is a problem. What, what are we going to do about it? Like, can we do anything? Is it just hopeless? Should I just close my eyes? And that's often where we end up in a lot of times. That's oftentimes in, in churches and a lot of a lot of cities and social programs and states are like, well, there's nothing we could do, so we should just stop talking about it and move on and pretend it doesn't happen. But what struck me so much about learning from my seven-year-old about how to be a Christian was, um, was the language of family, the, the desire for family. How do you know what it takes to be a part of a family? I think it's a really interesting. There's not, there's not a lot of books about joining a family. When you marry into someone's family, you don't get this guidebook. Here's how to be one of us. Um, it might be helpful <laughs> if you knew, you know, like this is what Christmas is. Or like, these are the kind of expectations that you have when you go to a funeral. These are the cousins who may all show up one Sunday. <laughs> I have a lot of cousins who showed up one Sunday. <laughs> you know, that's, you don't, you don't get that guidebook. There's kind of, there's a lot of books about how to, you know, how to have a kid, and that can, however unhelpful they may be, but there's not how to join a family. You learn how to be a part of a family by being a part of a family, by, by seeing how people live and how people act and, and responding in that way. There are two ways of joining a family. One is adoption. 
You were adopted into the family. Another one is marriage. You marry into the family. You don't, well, you marry a person in that family. You don't marry the family, um, which is a good distinction <laughs> to make. <laughs> but you're still kind of part of it um, in a different way. But the, so those are the two, the two main ways. Um, baptism, the way, um, the, the rite of Christian initiation is, a, is this amazing coordination of both marriage and adoption. Now, usually we can understand baptism in this language of adoption. Um, we kind of see it in the passage from Matthew with the, the heavens opening up and, you know, and, and Tyler's beautiful um, peace, choral, choral anthem of this is my beloved. And that answer, this is my beloved, that's what it means to like, take someone into your family, to truly do that. But baptism is also about marriage. because it's so, so it's kind of complicated, but I'll, I'll get to it. So first, again, like adoption, baptism, we, one enters the body of Christ. In the United Methodist Church, we baptize, um, we, we are a denomination that baptizes infants because we believe that the power of baptism comes from God. It does not come from us. Baptism is not about a personal a decision, but about the grace of God shared. And we don't want to withhold people. It's like we have this amazingly precious gift. We don't want to say, like, oh, I don't know. It's not for you. Um, or not yet. You haven't done the thing that you need to do to get it. It's like, here, here's the gift. Take the gift. The gift is for you. And so in, in that way of understanding baptism, you enter into the body of Christ. You are now a part of the body of Christ. When we baptize uh, people in this church, uh, I always tell you know, there's, there's words for the family, there's words for the person, there's also words for the congregation, um, that we each have responsibilities in baptism. When a child is baptized, the parents have responsibilities towards the child. It's not just this one-off thing, it's not just like, oh, look how cute my baby is, though babies are cute and that's nice. But it's still, it's like, there's obligations involved, there's responsibilities involved, there's responsibilities of the congregation, you are entering into our family as a church. Our family of God as brothers and sisters. This language that we use as, as brothers and sisters. You have been adopted into this family as a part of the people of God. But there's also this, this language of, of marriage. Because the church throughout scripture is, is described as the bride to Christ being the bridegroom. In this, in this um, the language that's found most fully in the Song of Songs but as well throughout, Paul talks about it in Ephesians. You kind of find it in, in Revelation of, of the marriage of the church into Christ. And that is the future of all humanity and what, how, how creation will be renewed by this coming together. And so in baptism, one is drawn into relationship with Jesus, a relationship of love and connection and devoted, devotion, a relationship of entering this family. Now, with both, um, like, like any marriage or like any adoption or any kind of relationship, when you're baptized, you can take things for granted. <laughs> you can kind of assume things. You can assume things will be okay. It's like, hey, you know what? I used, to, I used to do my own dishes before I was married, but I don't need to do that anymore. Um, you know, like, how does that work out? <laughs> that kind of thing. Or... <laughs> Uh, it's like, ah, no, we're home, so I'm just going to throw my shoes anywhere. Um, that doesn't matter. Oh, I can, I can clean the toilet next year. It'll be fine. <laughs> but that, that happens with our faith. That can happen with our faith. It's like, okay, I went through that step. I did that thing, so now I don't have to think about it anymore. And that's how 
people go into relationships and they don't usually intentionally do that, but it, it can happen. Um, it happens in, in families. It happens as we grow older in our relationships to our siblings, our relationships to our children. We can go through the motions. We can say, like, okay, as long as they write me a letter, as long as they show up for this, I don't need to think about them. Um, but that's not, that's not what the heart of family is about. That's not the heart of what God is calling us to be is about. In the, the amazing passage from Isaiah, the prophet says, I, the Lord, have called you for a good reason. I will grasp your hand and guard you and give you as a covenant to the people. I think that's, that's the heart of what we need to understand is going on with baptism. I, have, I the Lord, have called you for a good reason. It's not just a wrong number. Hey! Or it's not just like a bill collector to the old number on your phone. It is a good reason. I have called you for a good reason. And not only that, I will hold your hand as you do this. It's like if you're trying to tell your, your child or your niece or nephew to do something, you just say, go do it. The odds are they're probably not going to do it. If that's the first time you say them. You need a good reason, right? You, as well, if they've never done it before, you need to show them how to do it. You need to walk with them. That's how people learn how to be a part of a family, how to grow in life. This powerful thing. When we look to, when we look to the Gospels, um, when we look to this passage from Matthew, it's an interesting period because we see Jesus, Jesus goes from Galilee up north and he goes to the river of the Jordan. We don't know exactly where it is. There's a number of travel companies that think they found the exact spot and they will take you there um, if you pay them. But there's not really a good consensus over where the actual location of the baptism was. And the part of the point is that's, that isn't the point. A river, one of the beautiful things about a river is it's always changing. You know, the water that is there now won't be there in two minutes. It'll be gone. It'll be different water. It's flowing. It's a different spot. So the exact location is not the important thing. The river is what matters. The people are what matter. The place is where the people are that are going to receive Jesus. And so John has been doing this thing again and again, and people have been coming. He's been preaching to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And people have been coming. And one of those amazing things that happens to almost every preacher I've ever known is that the people listen to him, and actually, it's, it's this shocking thing when someone actually hears you, what you're preaching, and they're, and they're doing it. And that's, I think, what happens when John, when Jesus comes to see John. is like, wait a minute, you were actually listening to what I was saying? You believe this, that the kingdom of heaven is near? I'm not, I, was, I just thought I was, I was doing this. I was just going through the thing. And then God responds in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see this power. When Jesus says, Allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. All righteousness is this, this key word. This, in Greek, is dikaiosune. Um, it's a super important word in the Gospels. It means righteousness. It means justice in English. It means both righteousness and justice. It's making right, making straight. 
I need to fulfill and to make straight and right order with the world. And that is what baptism is about and God entering into this baptism. And even if we, we get into those points in our life, whether or not we've been baptized, whether or not we believe, if we get into those points in our life where we are just going through the motions with our relationships in our life, with the people closest to us, with the people farthest from us, if we're going through the motions with our neighbors, if we're going through the motions with our strangers, God, God's love does not stop for us. It does not cease for us. The call that God has for Jesus, the same call that is for us, as Tyler so beautifully illustrates in that anthem. This is my child whom I dearly love. That call is still for you, whether or not you've been going through the motion. The call through the prophet, I, the Lord, have called you for a good reason, and I will grasp your hand and guard you. That call does not go away. That call does not go away. Christ is our example throughout the the Gospels, throughout the Scriptures. Christ is our example as well as our desire. This is, again, how the twin action of baptism, how adoption and, and marriage work together. In adoption, we see the people in our lives as examples for us. When you're adopted, you, you learn about how to be a person from, from the people in your life who adopted you. And in the marriage, in the ways of the, the marriage of Christ, the bridegroom, and the church as the bride, we desire our beloved. We desire to find them, to be with them. If you desire Christ, where is he to be found? Where is he to be found? Christ is found in worship. Christ is found at the table when we celebrate communion as well. Christ is out there in the life of the person in need. As we see most beautifully illustrated in Matthew 25. John Wesley the founder of Methodism would talk about the means of grace, that there, God works in many mysterious ways, but we know God works in these ways. God works through the sacraments. God works through baptism, through Eucharist, through, through worship together. God works through reading the Bible, but God also works through clothing those who are naked, through feeding those who are hungry, through getting water to those who are thirsty. God is working through this action. This is a way to see the face of God. How much do you desire to see God? There's nothing more concrete than that. There's nothing more concrete than that. My friends, um, we have a, a weekly email uh, chain on the, for the church called The Buzz. And for the next few weeks, I've been trying to kind of share some readings about, about the sermon. This past week was an excerpt from the book, When Helping Hurts. Um, and so if you would like a copy of the excerpt, I can share that too. Or if you open the email, because I've seen how many people have opened it, uh, <laughs> you, could, you could check there too. Um, one of the excerpts, yeah, <laughs> it's like you're all on notice. <laughs> and so there's some really helpful parts. The, book, the whole book is good, but this excerpt I think is really helpful because it kind of cuts through some, some diagnoses about poverty. Um, and one of the, he has this great chart. It's like, if we believe the primary cause of poverty is, what, A, a lack of knowledge, then we will primarily try to educate people. If we believe it is oppression by powerful people, we will work for social justice. If we believe it is the personal sins of the poor, we will evangelize and disciple the poor. If we believe it is a lack of material resources, we will give material resources to people. But what the author really, the author is really kind of helpfully um, 
articulate is seeing this kind of holistic idea of relationship and all of our need for a relationship. That there's four main relationships. That we have relationship with God, relationship with self, relationship with others, and relationship with the rest of creation. And that, um, as well, they go in, it's deeply theological. They go into the way that the fall, original sin, breaks us off from each of those relationships. So none of those relationships are as strong as they could be. And what I think the powerful thing about what they do is instead of having what's, what's problematic and what they try to point out is this kind of like hierarchy of the people who give charity and the people who receive it. And this assumption that those who give charity are better. And whether or not we say it to ourselves, oftentimes it ends up this feeling of I'm the one who gets to give charity. I'm the one who gets to share things. Um, and what the authors really do is kind of level that out, that we are all in need of God's grace and that we should not see in the face of someone who is hungry or asking someone who is weak or lesser um, or an object for, our, um, for betterment or a, like a, a someone who we need to fix in that kind of way. But as, like, as a beautiful child of God, um, as the way like I learned last week from my son Dominic. Um, and again, the, the powerful thing is how do we repair those relationships? It's not an issue of, of fixing the thing. It's not the issue of saving the person, of saying like, okay, if they just pray to Jesus, everything will work out. Or if they just had a job or a place to eat or that kind of thing. But of how to restore relationships. And restoring relationships is hard. We all have people in our lives who we've probably grown estranged from in some way. Uh, that it's for usually really good reasons. Um, that it's hard to repair and we get to a point of like, it's not worth it. It is hard. It is a challenge. Relationships are difficult. Relationships are difficult. Like giving someone food is a lot easier than, fic- than repairing a relationship, than building a relationship. When you're a child, oftentimes it's a lot easier to make friends, especially if you're, you are like Dominic and you just like, you never meet a stranger and you want to introduce yourself to everybody. Um, and it's beautiful to learn from my extroverted seven-year-old. Uh, <laughs> But it's harder as you grow older to make friends. It's harder to kind of like to find ways of doing that, of building a relationship that you already have. Like usually you get to kind of a point, you're like, okay, I've got, I've got my friend group. I'm done. This is it. I have the people I'm going to, I would see regularly, the people I will see every other year. That's it. I don't need any more people to think about. That does not have anything to do with what God is doing at baptism. That doesn't have anything to do with what, what we, we're going to say in the covenant service. And I think that is one of the powerful things of why I wanted to um, bring the, do these, these twin services and these texts today. That there are ways that we can, we can remember our baptism and then go out and live the exact same way. There are ways of saying the powerful words of the covenant service and then go out and live the exact same way. And I, like, the, powerful, the covenant service like, knocks my socks off every time. And so it's going to... It is, some, it is some powerful language. But we can still read it and not be moved. It's, we can do that. In the same way we can do that with our relationships. We can go to a holiday dinner and then not think about that person again for a year. We can write that Christmas card and then not have to do it. Um, but we don't have to be that way. We don't have to live that way. And even more, we have been called by the Lord for a good reason. You have been called for a good reason. And we are not alone. God will grasp our hand. God will grasp our hand and give you as a covenant. That's what Isaiah gets. To even, it's even harder. It's like 
It's hard to get, a, get out of this language. Not only, so God has called you for a good reason. God's going to take, grasp your hand, walk with you. God is going to guard you. And then God is going to give you. You are a gift. Not only are you worthy of being called by God, you are a gift. You are a gift, not just for yourself, but for others. That, is, that can be so intimidating to live into, but it does not have to be. Let go of those things that are keeping you from love. Let go of those ways of looking at yourself that you are not worthy of love of another, that you cannot handle it. That you are a beloved child of God. The answer is not that you need to, we all need to be Dominic and we all need to invite everybody to live with us, but we need to be open to relationships. We need to see that the concrete reality and the concrete trauma of homelessness is broken relationships. And if we are willing to be in relationships with other people, and we don't need to start with the person on the street, we need to start with the people in our lives. Are we willing to be in relationships with the people in our lives? To break bread with them, to share our homes with them, to share our lives with them. Then the circle will expand because God is with us. You are not alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.